0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hey, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Yeah, I was supposed to do this show at one o'clock this afternoon. Kim was sleep. All right. So, <laughs> this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Yes, we are black free thinkers but not the Kanye kind. You know, I spoke about him a little bit last week about what's going on with him and him shaking his tambourine and then all is forgiven for, you know, and it's just a whole lot going on in that situation. And I'll probably give some attention to that a little bit later. Not probably. I know I will be because um, why the hell not? That's why. So, Last week, you know, the title of the show was Give These White People Back Their God. And I said I wasn't going to do a part two, but I didn't feel like being creative and thinking that hard this week. So today is Give These White People Back Their God part two, right? And so last week, we had a caller, and it was interesting. It was interesting. I I, I believe my expression to that was, wow, wow. And, you know, and I thank him for calling in because, you know, one thing I have to say, regardless if a person is someone uh, that's a believer or a non-believer, it actually takes, you know, some courage to call a show like this. And especially if you are a believer, especially if you you know where I stand on a lot of things, but I do respect people. I do respect individuals. That's one of the main reasons why you don't, see me hanging up on folks real often unless you're just crazy racist white boy in which we've had a couple of them call in. But um, you know, I try to be pragmatic about those types of things, diplomatic, you know, and is you know, I just try to do those things because you never know who's listening. And the last thing I want is for people to be afraid to call in. And so I want to speak on that call last week because, you know, I had some tees with some people this week and about, you know, being compared to, like, Hitler. And I was like, really, dude? And he was like, yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting because the methodology that he used in that phone call was a methodology that you'll see a lot of men use on women. And so what I mean by that is you'll have them make a few compliments and then turn around and backhand you, right, or give you a backwards-ass comment or compliment or the negativity or whatever you want to call it, right? And the thing is is that it's become so commonplace for men to do that that it seems normal to them. And I won't say they don't even recognize what they're doing. I What I will say is, that approach has worked for many of them over the years. And so they continue to reemploy those types of tactics. And so, you know, I'm going to use that call as an example so that you can kind of get a better understanding as to um, how some of that fits into the narrative that I talk about on this show, just the recurring narrative in the show. Um, So, you know, he was talking about be having millions and billions of listeners, right? And so if you go back and you look at the prosperity gospel, the Word of Faith Church and how they set up their doctrine, you know, they went from telling people that they were going to be holy millionaires to Bill Winston announcing that you're going to be a holy billionaire. And so, you know, some of their doctrine, not some of it, quite a bit of it is based on capitalism and greed. And because they've been able to sell that to people, and especially in a lot of black and brown communities, you know, you have people in some rather, you know, horrible conditions, you know, a certain amount of despair and hopelessness. So you have people coming in, and they try to sell you on those things, and this is how they kind of lure you into that particular web. You know, because I need to break that down for people to understand, you know, how this works. Because, you know, you see that in, in different areas of your life. I mean, sometimes when you go for one of those job interviews and they really need people, but they need for you to believe that you need them more than they need you. And so they'll sugar up, you know, uh, the job description and the office to morale and all of that. And then once you get there, you find out, you know, you're in a third circle of hell, right? And so these are things that you have to look for. And one of the questions that I asked Pastor Don last week was if he believed that black people and white people serve the same God. And his response to that was yes. And, you know, of course I don't necessarily believe that, but however, I believe, you know, when when we start looking at the concept of God. This is how I look at it. I look at it as a number of different factors. And to me the most common factor, the most common thing between a lot of white Christians and black Christians is capitalism, another factor would be patriarchy, you know. So, I believe that the only gods that are <laughs> that are shared Amongst, you know, a lot of white Christians and black Christians, money, capitalism, um, patriarchy, and to a certain extent, homophobia. And see, I hesitate when I use that word homophobia because you have this negative stereotype out here that the black community is extremely homophobic and that the black community is more homophobic than the white community, and that's not true. The black community is not more homophobic than a white community. And, you know, and basically, you know, what I'm trying to get people to understand is, you know, you need to start looking at these things from a number of different perspectives and, you know, using those analytical (laughs) and critical thinking skills to assess the situation. And not only assess the situation, but to get a better understanding of what the heck is happening around you and how you have these people out here using these Jedi mind tricks. You got to pay attention so that you won't get caught up in it. And so, you know, I'm going to go more into that a little bit later, but it's important that you understand what's going on, right? So, This has been a really interesting week. I know last week I was talking about how the Democrats are just really messing up and handing the election to Trump, you know, and I didn't even get into the impeachment or any of that last week because, you know, they've been calling for his impeachment since day one, specifically Maxine Waters, you know, in addition to Elizabeth Warren, you know, and so it's interesting how things have changed in the last several days. And so what I find interesting about it, you know, is that I just kind of parallel and contrast this situation with the cheddar tater tot and just real life, you know, our real lives. And life gets real interesting when the rabbit, the giraffe, the lion, the dolphin, or the puppy has the gun when the hunter becomes the game, your whole perspective changes. And so watching what's happening now in the political arena is, um, you know, rather interesting because 45 basically was operating under the delusion that being impeached or threatened with impeachment would help him in his political aspirations for re-election, right? And that's not necessarily what's happening here. I see we already have a caller calling in. Let me give a number that people can call in, 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. Now, you can call in and listen, but if you want to speak with me, you have to press the number one. All right, so again, 310-982-4273. You want to speak with me, press 1. So let's go ahead and take the calls early on. Um, I think we have 631 here. Good afternoon, or rather good evening. This is Kim. May I ask who's calling?
2: Good evening. This is Jay from Rhode Island.
1: Good evening, Jay from Rhode Island. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to speak about?
2: add some, because you know i saw the religion uh tag um i didn't know you know you probably already know but i i didn't know if there was any more info on the the fact that um i think it's the dark-haired picture that people worship of jesus uh black and white people in america that was linked to being an actual portrait of an italian criminal that was like the son or the nephew of one of the popes from, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. I didn't know if you, if, if you had any more info on that or like, you know, like when I found out I was shocked, you know, I mean, I wasn't shocked because I already knew, you know, that, you know, you right. can't, right. you know, right. yeah. So yeah, I, I said, let me, let me add that. Cause you know, if you didn't know, or if you know <laughs> more about it, you know, I figured you could expand on it or uh, cause it is kind of fascinating that, You could tell somebody that, and they, you know, sometimes they just won't listen.
1: Exactly, exactly. And see, what you're talking about there, that's found in every culture, because if you go to, um, let's say, the Asians, you know, some of them that are Christians, Jesus looks more Asian than anything else. Same thing with the Latinx community, different places where you go. And so, you know, they adapt. Jesus in some of these communities to look like someone from their community, and so what's interesting is one of the things that I try to talk about is westernized Christianity, specifically american christianity it's nothing but hyper capitalism and white supremacy, and you can't have capitalism without the racism, and so you mm-hmm. you know and and they they use That particular doctrine, Christianity, again, like I said, there's a difference between white Christianity and how they serve their God and black Christianity and how they serve their God. Because with white Christianity, it's about fear, oppression, subjugation, and captivity. It's about keeping those in line. That's why, you know, when I get to talking about white people and we say, oh, they treat their animals better than they do black people, yeah, because the, the animal is subjugated to them. It's captive, it's theirs, they have ownership of it. And so it's interesting because when I talk about these things, you know, there are some people that get upset about it, but in the black community, the thing is is that that's one of the reasons why Barack Obama's message resonated so well because it was about hope, change, and faith, right? But the thing is is that it's nice to have hope, but what happens is you get stuck in a rut. And we're sitting back and hoping that these people will treat us better, will do the right thing, and that's not true because it's like you have people out here trying to appeal to a lot of these white people with the moral compass, not understanding that we define morality different ways. And, you know, what's interesting with what's happening with 45 and a number of other people in this country is that, you know, they're afraid of the browning of America, and things are changing. And I would advise anyone to go out there because there were some articles. Like I said, we have a Reddit page. Black Free Thinkers has a Reddit page, and I post like crazy over there. So I posted an article talking about the Latino or the Latinx community and and how they are basically basically outpopulating everyone. And pretty soon they're going to be the majority in this country. And so it's important that you all go back and you understand these things. And I know I kind of veered off a little bit from what you're saying, but with the God concept, I think it varies somewhat from culture to culture. And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, I try to read things, you know, from other, written in their language and from their lens, to kind of get a better understanding. When I was in Brazil, I went over and I saw the Orishas, and I actually posted some of the pictures of there. And, you know, they have the Day of the Dead, and they, they you know, um, practice a different type of Christianity. And when I say a different type of Christianity, it's just, it's something that's localized there. You have You have other people there, but You know, I think it's important that we reach out and we understand and we read about these other different particular cultures because not everyone um, practices Christianity in the same way that they do here in America. And the Christianity that was taught to, you know, the blacks in this country, you know, it was about keeping them in line. It was about, you know, basically putting them on a guilt trip for wanting to to be independent, to be free, to wanting to be liberated. And they've turned it into, you know, again, a business. It's a Ponzi scheme in many respects. And so it's just interesting, but you're right. When you start talking about these things and explaining it and breaking it down, people get upset. And I understand some people don't understand where we're coming from, and I get that. And that's one of the reasons why I try to take a lot of the stuff that I read and break it down so that the average person can understand it. Because one of the issues I've had with a lot of the academics and public intellectuals is they write their books for each other, and then they get upset because the book hasn't sold. And I was like, well, you're not writing books and saying things that Pookie and Ray Ray can understand. And then academic speak is so, you know, it's, it's not friendly at all. And so it was interesting, you know, talking to a few people, and I said, you know, you all want to use words like heteronormativity, misogynoir, all of that great words, but Pookie and Ray Ray, they still tripping about the he, she, they thing. They're still trying to reconcile with that. But, um, yeah, no, what, you, what you're talking about, I was a little familiar with that, and I haven't posted anything about it, but I definitely would do some research and put it out there. I'll put it on the Reddit board, and I'll probably just go ahead and throw it up on um, my Facebook page and the other two pages, which are Black Free Thinkers and People of Color Beyond Faith. But, I mean, what say you? Why do you think that that is so? Why do you think they use that particular picture?
2: Um, one is like a subliminal thing to to kind okay. of uh, say, okay, this is this is what a criminal uh this is what you're gonna be worshiping looks like. It's it's like um showing somebody and you know I don't know if this is very scientific, but it's kinda like saying if I show you pictures of known criminals, would you would you get to be conditioned to let known criminals White criminals like this picture, uh, oh, and the name of that picture is Caesar Borgia. I think that's the name. um that you know, like you'll get accustomed to saying, well, you know, I, I worship a picture like that, and maybe it's something subliminal, kind of in a way, I tell people, um if you're a heterosexual person, and you know, especially a man, you know, I'm just using that as an example, and say they keep portraying. Uh, transvestites, you know nothing wrong you know, i 'm not saying anything against anybody, but for someone who's heterosexual, if they are keeping if they're seeing these men dressed up like women, their normal perception like like they become more acceptable of accepting uh a, a, a partner a sexual partner that looks like that, so like if they are heterosexual, it kind of gives a subliminal gap toward, you know, it fills it in to say, okay, look, you know, you, you like the way that person looked anyway, you know, and try to get into it same way when you worship the white Jesus or any Jesus picture. um, You know, my friend is Christian and I try to tell him, look, man, just read some of the stuff in there and read the contradictions. And, you know, that might make you think when you worship a white picture like that, uh kind of doobie brother look in this, you know, kind of, you're going to get to feel compassion for for the most low-life white person that's out there because that's what you're worshiping. Subliminally in your mind, they can do no wrong. Uh, basically what the law was legally in America and, and other invaded countries was white was right. And that was law. You know, black people, people of no non-white people could testify against uh, white people in court all throughout the 18 or 1700s, early early to mid-1900s. It's like you look at that and you try, you know, somebody tried to tell me. Civilization. I said, how civil is that? I said, that doesn't meet the definition of civil. I said, that's barbaric. The fact that a white man could commit murder, and if a black man or anybody else saw it, his testimony wasn't good. He could not testify against a white guy. Now, what we see today, this, 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 this uh, cluster, that just garbage, I tell people that comes from white is right. And people are starting to see that white ain't right. White might be right sometimes, but it can't, you know, when you lie and say, oh, it's always right just because it's white, now you get a world that is polluted. You get a world where nobody can question anything. And any place that's black, let's take Tasmania, for instance, there's no more Tasmanians. But that's not genocide by Christians. That's not, you know, it's something else. But Israel or something like that, Oh, if you have something happen in um, Germany, oh, that's a Holocaust. Oh, no, no, no. There's millions of, of Jewish people still existing, but that's a Holocaust. But there's no Tasmanians. And it's documented that they were killed off and they were very black. You know, they were very, very dark. And it's like everywhere I look, it's like a crime to just be there if you're black. And if you're a criminal and you're white, nah, we're going to, we'll let that slide. You know, you're, you're cool. He's one of us, you know, that, and I see this constantly. It's like a conditioning when I, I tell somebody, when you see in the news, <clears throat> a black guy got shot, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I said, that's the story. I said, but you got to think about the conditioning. I said, that conditioning, if white people were to see that all the time and, ha- and have that fear. You know, that, that you because know, some people will be like, oh, you know, you're you, you bringing so – I'm like, look, man, I talk to other people around the country, and, you know, one night I was going to go to the store and I was like, it's like 12, you know, late at night, I said I ain't going to go. My friend told me, he goes, you know, I felt the same way. And he lives on the other side of the country in California. He said, yeah, he goes, you know, because I didn't, I didn't want to run into no cops. And we're both legal working people. And we have to worry about that. And then the the worst thing is not white people saying, oh, come on, you're overreacting. The worst thing is black people saying that. Because then I'm like, oh, oh, the house Negroes. I can't even get through the house Negroes. And they're right. They're probably uh-huh. laughing, saying, they probably laugh and think, hey, are going to get through them. Uh-huh. So Jesus, yeah, so you know, back, back to the thing, wait. I can't get through uh-huh. the black Jesus worshipers, much less the white Jesus worshipers. You know, the black Jesus worshipers are like, you got to keep that picture up there.
1: Okay. So there are three things I need to address. All right. So the first one, you know, you were talking about you were legal working, you know, um, black men. And, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, even if it's a black person that's not, regardless of their condition, you know, they may be homeless, they may be unemployed. There may be some, um, you know, addiction issues. It doesn't matter if, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're homeless or you're the CEO of a company. If you're black, you're going to be judged by double standards. So I just want to make sure that, you know, we understand that, you know, that this happens across the board. However, if you're black and poor, you know, you receive even harsher treatment. All right, so that's one thing, and I'm not really going to get go too much into that. But the second thing is the comment that you made at the beginning about, you know, trans people. And, you know, that's a really, really delicate subject, you know, but I want to make sure my stance on that. Trans men are men and trans women are women. And so, you know, if if you have a hetero man or a cisgendered man that's attracted to a trans woman, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, and, and, you know, it's just they're attracted to whoever it is that they're attracted to. And there's no agenda out there because, you know, you know, I hear that all the time. Oh, you got the gay agenda. You got the trans agenda. No, no, there is no agenda. They just want to be treated like everybody else. And I don't think that's too much to ask for. And people shouldn't have to be out here begging for that, you know, because the same thing with the black community. Now, where I do take issues, and I don't support a lot of these mainstream agendas because it's white-centered and it's white male-centered, and that's where the issue comes in for me because what they do is they factor the black and brown people out when basically almost all of these movements have been started by black and brown people and they get co-opted and hijacked by white people and particularly white males to make it more palatable, if you will, to the mainstream society. And so, you know, I just want to make sure that I put that out there because, you know, when you talk about normalizing things, the thing is, is that it should already be normal. Trans people, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. Gay people, that's nothing new. That's always been around. It's just that they're demanding their full equal rights under the law. And one of the issues that I always like to bring up, and you know, I like for black and brown people to hear this, to understand it, because some of us have tried to work within these different movements and within these different communities only to be a little surprised, well, not so much, but we'll just use that word for right now, that they have, that these communities have not dealt with the racism. There's a lot of racism in the mainstream LGBTQ community. There's a lot of racism in the mainstream atheist community. There's a lot of racism in the mainstream Christian community. And, you know, all of the, you know, Communities that fall under that, you know, I'm not going to name them all. But that's one of the reasons why I have a problem with these mainstream movements. A lot of them haven't dealt with the racism. They haven't dealt with the sexism, or the misogyny. They haven't dealt with the homophobia. And yes, there is homophobia within the LGBTQ community. But yet you want us to support you and what you're doing, and you're not even trying to acknowledge what's happening in your own community. And it basically boils down to to this. They turn into white male-centered movements. So, Because that's what's going to play better on television. That's how they're going to get more for their 501c3s, their nonprofit organizations. And basically it all boils down to this. They want their regular white boy status back, and that is what they want. Mm -hmm. So to tie it into what you were saying earlier about how, you know, with these white people, particularly white men being heralded at the top as to this is what you want to fire for. This is what excellence is, you know, the myth of meritocracy and all of that. Well, basically, we've always known that that was a damn lie. And the best example that you can possibly have, and this has always been here, the problem is people weren't paying attention. But now they're basically rubbing your nose in a big old pile of shit. Look at 45 and his entire administration. When we talk about mm-hmm. white supremacy and white privilege, that is what that is. And as a matter of fact, I've been doing some reading and you know, and i you know, I I watch videos and there's some people that I listen to and I kind of agree with them on this. I believe instead of saying white privilege, we should start addressing it as white pathology because that is what it is. And what they mm-hmm. do is what they, they've tried to flip the script. And they always try to pathologize black and brown people. And that's why one of the reasons why I get so upset about what's happening now, especially with this, you know, this Amber chick that shot Jean Botham, right? And she's up there with her white tears, and we already know how this is going to end. And what happens is they flip the script, they trigger guilt, they, they've trained us to be docile, they've trained us to defer to them, and we just get caught up into this vicious-ass circle and not being able to make any real progress because at the end of the day, if we're going to make any real progress, basically what's going to happen is we're going to have to shut it all fucking down. And what Jeff <laughs> Sessions did with the Department of Justice you know, like I said last week on the show, marching and all of that, it works somewhat, but it's not the same as it was in the 50s, 60s and early 70s. And you know, what people have to understand is that most people didn't start getting televisions in their homes until the 60s. And so they would see the newspapers and they would have these images, but watching it on the news is something different. And what 45 has done, he has suppressed that. Basically, he has you know, put you know these orders out to the mainstream and cable news um, channels that if they put too much um, emphasis and show too much of the black and brown people protesting, that he was going to get angry with them and punish them. Well, he's been doing that anyway. And I just posted an article. I did post it on my wall in the Black Free Thinkers and People of Color Beyond Faith walls on Facebook and, and on the Reddit. And in that particular article, it's talking about how our intelligence agencies, specifically the FBI, and how they were labeling black activists as black identity extremists and saying that we were the biggest threat and not the white supremacists that are out here. So I really need you all to go and read that and read the studies behind that because that article um, is um, recent. So, go back and take a look at that and see what's happening and so you know you know you had a number of black people out here talking about mass communications and how the news portrays black and brown people and I know you know, and I know some of you are like, Jim, why are you you know bringing up the brown people?" and some say they don't care about us. You know I'm black, but I see what's happening out here, and I am of the belief that it is my duty my personal duty to kind of understand what's happening in these other communities as well because I really truly believe that we're going to have to work collectively to make any real changes. And, yes, there are some brown, you know, red and yellow people that, you know, we can relate to, but there are some that we can't because you have some out here that are white identifying. And they want the benefits or some of the benefits that are extended to them under white privilege, right? So, I mean, there are a lot of different dynamics going on with this. But, again, I want people to utilize critical thinking skills when they're looking at these things because, again, with 45 and what's happening up there, the majority of the people that he put in his cabinet, just talking about he was going to drain the swamp yeah okay he drained the swamp of these people and made an even bigger murkier swamp with the people that he put in there but the thing is is that those people are no different than the other ones and this is another reason why a lot of people get upset with me because I will not give liberals a break because I feel that their brand of racism and sexism and you know uh, misogyny is a little bit more toxic, you know, with a lot of these conservatives and these, these Republicans and people of that particular ilk. They're open. They're very overt about their shit, you know, and, and they may make it polite and civil, you know, because, you know, you can be a racist, but as long as you have a little bit of sugar in it and a smile, that makes it better, right? Whereas you have a lot of these liberals that are out here And, you know, they're telling you that they're your allies, that they're there for you, they'll drop you some pocket change or what have you, but yet they don't want to change any of the laws or change many of the laws and policies. And if they do allow and push for certain changes, trust me, there is another law or policy being put into effect to take back some other progress that we thought we had made. And some of the best examples of that is school desegregation, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, again, tying that into, you know, where I'm going with today is that there is no way possible that black Christians and white Christians are serving the same God because white Christianity in this country is built upon, perpetuated, and sustained by white supremacy. You know, and, yeah. and we just have to accept that. And the thing is, is that, and I want to make sure that I tie this in so people can understand, even the black Christianity that's being taught in the black church, that is still built on white supremacy. And so, you know, and some of that has to black because you have some of these black nationalists that that proclaim that they're not Christian They're secular or secularists or what have you, but those particular black nationals get along so well with these white supremacists because it's the same shit. One is in blackface, the other one is in whiteface, but they have the same message with a lot of the black Christians. It's kind of the same thing because if you go back and you look throughout history, you'll see that there are some of these black pastors, some of these black leaders, because it's not only necessarily relegated to black Christians, and what I'm talking about is, you know, that can be extended to, you know, believers, black Christians or black believers, and also it goes into politics, it goes into the social Um, communities or social status and all of that, there are some black people out here that make a living (laughs) on the suppression and the oppression of black people. So they turned around and turned this into a career. And you all need to understand that. So when we come out here and we rail against the system, it is their job to tell us how wrong we are. It is their job to get us back in line. It is their job to keep us in our place, and then they get paid to keep us docile and asleep. So, I mean, I just need you guys to pay attention to that. You know, I thank um, my caller for calling in. This call dropped, but, um, guys, you need to pay attention. You know, so last week I mentioned um, an article written by Ben Alpers, right? And I'm looking at it. So it says, you know, the title of the article is, um, Is Black Humanism a Religion? You all can go and look that up. And this was written in 2013, actually. And there are a number of other articles out there. But again, that's the reason why I encourage you guys to go out and do some research on your own. But in this particular article, it speaks specifically about Anthony Penn, who has written a number of wonderful books. Um, Chris Cameron, who just wrote Black Freethinkers. You know, again, I want you guys to go out and um, buy some of their books. You know, and Michael Lackey, I told you guys last week about his book, African American Atheists and Political Liberation, A Study of the Sociocultural Dynamics of Faith and so the history of African-American
0: religions.
1: And I I focus specifically on that book, on you know, because it's like one of my favorite books. And that will explain quite a bit to you guys, because what I need for many of you all to understand is that we're looking at these things differently. We're looking at these things through very different lenses. And so, huh um, It's just, it's it's been a trip, you know, over this last week, like I said, you know, watching what's happening with 45 and um, what's happening with him and how things have changed. And they haven't really changed a lot, you know, because I'm not really expecting a lot to come from that, but, you know, he still enjoys his white male entitlement. And and that's not going to change. You know, you have people asking, well, if he doesn't win 2020, and there are people out here now that are hedging their bets that he may resign before he's impeached. I'm not quite so sure about that. But it's interesting to watch this. But, again, you know, these people have shown you who they are, And you have people out here, primarily white evangelicals, that are trying to herald 45 as Jesus reincarnated or some type of deity. And there are reasons why they're using that particular or that specific, um, how can I put it, imagery, if you will, you know, because I remember doing a show talking about the prosperity gospel of Donald Trump with him on that escalator descending into the masses. Don't think that that's by mistake. So it's just interesting, but I just need people and and to pay attention. Because, again, you know, last week I gave some examples of their God as far as the secular or the atheist community is concerned. You know, I was speaking about David Silverman, Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and, you know, you even have Jordan Peterson. As I stated before, he says he's Christian, but I don't necessarily believe that, right? And, you know, the deification of those particular people, in different communities. You know, it's interesting because a lot of atheists like to point the finger at believers while basically imitating Christians. You know, you have Sunday Assembly, you know, which is if you go and you look at their business model, basically it's just a secularized version of a church or a fellowship. Now, that's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with fellowshipping together because many of us that were part of the church, that's one of the things that some of us miss. And so, you know, I want to make sure that people understand that, you know, that's fine. That's okay. But I need for you all to pay attention to a lot of the similarities, a lot of the parallels, and be able to contrast that. And, and not sit here and get angry and ready to have an argument or fight because you believe that you're doing something so much differently than they are when you're not. And as I've stated before, you know, we have a lot more in common than we do in differences. And so I need for you guys to know that and to um, do a little bit better with this and understand But I do want you guys to go and watch that um, Netflix series called The Family because, um, you know, I'm going to do a couple of shows around that. And on one particular show, you know, I'm going to have Raina come on and we're going to talk about that particular series but it's going to be after I do the other show. And so I'm trying to put some things together. But, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's going to wake some of you up. And if it doesn't wake you up, I'm not trying to change you. We're not trying to convert you. I just want you to start questioning things. I, you need to question everything. And that's one of the things that, you know, I observed in the church Whereas they would tell you, in some churches, not all of them, but they would tell you not to question God, not to question the pastor, not to question your elders, not to question your parents. You know, you just have all of these different people. We've been taught all of these things. And one thing that I've stressed over the years is that we need to unlearn a whole lot of shit. We need to deprogram ourselves. And I feel the same way. Racism and sexism and misogyny and all of that is that we need to unlearn something. And I use myself as an example because anti blackness, you know, anti brownness, you know, xenophobia, you know, that is is fed to us every day in commercials, in the news, walking down the street, you read your newspaper, the magazines, conversations that we have with one another, you know it's, it's, you know, it's innate, and this is what we've been taught. And for me personally, it's been very painful for for me, you know, because when I, I'm learning, and life is an ever-learning, ever-changing process, If you feel as though there is nothing else for you to learn and that there is no reason for you to change, well, I feel sorry for you because to me you're not growing if you're not doing those things. And it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to say that you don't know something. It's extremely important for you guys to understand that and learn how to forgive yourself, learn how to love yourself. That is what I'm learning. So I'm just kind of, you know, sharing some of my journey with you guys, even with this show, you know, because in the last couple of months, you know, before I started back last week, you know, I've been contemplating, do I want to continue with the show, you know, and I'm like, if I continue with the show, I'm going to scale it back, you know, to a certain amount of time instead of the two, sometimes three hour shows. And I'm also going to start a new podcast. And, you know, then it's another project. And I'm going to bring all of those up under People of Color Beyond Faith because all of it ties in together. And so as that comes out, I'll let you guys know. And I know some of you are like, ah, oh, she's been saying that for a few years. Yeah you know, but I lost my focus, and I wasn't motivated, but I'm feeling a lot better now. You know, this last month has been rough. I've been having a really bad, bad flare, and so um trying to get my health back in order and get all of that situated, but, you know, like I said, I missed you guys. I missed talking about this and, you know, the Pastor Don was right, you know, You know, I should monetize some of this, and I, I, I am, you know, but for the most part, I just feel as though, you know, I'm just giving something back, and it's funny because, you know, I've had a bunch of people say, well, Kim, you're giving it to them for free, they don't appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of people don't appreciate it you know, and it is what it is, right? So you're always going to have detractors. You're always going to have people that are takers, that are users, and don't want to give anything. And I've learned some really hard lessons, but I've been doing my best not to allow that to change me, right? But, you know, there's some progress that still needs to be made on my end as far as this particular evolution that I'm going through right now. So, you know, I'm human just like everyone else. But, yeah, I need for you guys to pay attention, and especially those of you that are, you know, in some of these um, subcultures, right? And I know some people are like, well, why are you calling a subculture? because it's underneath just the mainstream culture, but it's an identical replica. You know, it's a mirror image of it. The things that you see happening in mainstream America, you're seeing in these same particular communities. You know, you see it in the atheist community. You're seeing it in the religious community, whether it's Christian. You're seeing it in some of these Muslim communities. And, you know, I'm not a Muslim, and I have not done a lot of studying of that particular ideology. But, you know, there are some issues there. And, you know, the same thing is happening, you know, out there in uh, the satanic community. You know, and I'm not a member of that community either. And, you know, I do a little bit of reading. But I'll be the first one to tell you that uh, I find Satanism a little bit interesting there, you know. And when I say that, you know, um, it's just interesting, you know. But they're having the same issues over there as well, you know, the issues with people jockeying for position, people, you know, trying to grab power, people, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being sexual. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a problem when you abuse your authority and abuse your power to get sexual favors or to subjugate someone sexually. And what I mean, you know, and there are a number of other communities. you know I just you know I don't want to stop there. But you know, those are just the three or four that popped into my head. and so yes, there have been sexual improprieties, there have been issues with um, money as far as embezzlement and you know financial fraud is concerned. And so it's really interesting when you start watching it and paying attention, you know you you know, I know some of you are like, "Well, I didn't know anything about it." And I'm like, we've been telling you this for years. You know that these things are happening. We're all human, and you have people out here that will capitalize on these things. And even within the black community, it's the same shit: people jockeying for position, people power grabbing. You know, um, <laughs> you know, sexual improprieties. Um, you got people out here they're capitalizing, you know, because I mean, you know, even within the atheist community and the way I used to navigate it. And, you know, I'm kind of standing outside of it. I kind of pulled away in 2015 because there's so much fuckery going on, you know, but that stuff is coming out, and that's why I laugh when, you know, some of these white people discover, they discovered racism in the atheist community. What's interesting is some of those same white people were the ones pointing at me And saying, she's a problem. So, yeah, I'm that problematic black chick. And I'm fine with that. And I make some of you, quite a few of you, uncomfortable. And believe it or not, I'm pretty happy about that. Because we need to shake you out of your comfort zone. You know, and so there have been some unfortunate situations, but... It is what it is. You know, it ain't no fun if you can't make them run, right? And so (laughs) um, you have a lot more in common with these other communities than you realize. And so, you know, again, even within the secular community, you have the deification of people. And in the Christian community, the white Christian community, as well as the black Christian community, you know, because a lot of these megachurch pastors like Creflo and, you know, Eddie and, you know, Bill Winston, you know, you have a number of them. You know, you have Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell and Junior, Oral and Franklin Roberts, um, you know, Rod Parsley, you know, all of this. And even within the black Republican Christian communities, So that will be people like Daryl Scott and that, you know, Manning dude in, in New York and, you know, a number of them that are falling behind, following behind um, Donald Trump. The same issues. And I need for you all to recognize it. And I need for you all to take your power back. And I just need you to think about these things and utilize those critical and thinking skills and analytical skills in every area of your life. That would include what you go to school for, what you're studying, you know, how you navigate on your job, you know, how you choose a particular career. You know, and we need to be forward-thinking and forward-reaching, and there are a lot of things that are going to have to change. And change is difficult, change is scary, but it's necessary. And especially within the black community, we've become so accustomed to doing things certain ways, but trying to think outside of that box, it, it makes it difficult make progress. And we're not going to be able to make any major progress until we step out of that box and kind of change some of the traditional methods that we've used. And quite a few of that is religious-based for lack of better words, you know, because, see, the black church has painted itself into a corner, especially when it comes to their claim of ownership of the civil rights movement. And the civil rights movement was a people's movement. I used to say it was a secular movement, but that's somewhat true. And the reason why I'm saying somewhat, because, you know, when we start talking secularism, you have atheists out here that will try to take claim to that. And that's not necessarily true. And I don't want us to get into the habit of these false equivalencies. Because there are a lot of atheists, white, black, red, yellow, whatever that are not and have not studied history. And some of them that just take the words of their so-called leaders, take those particular talking points and run with them. And a lot of those things are half-truths, and some of them are just outright lies and fallacies. So that's the reason why I tell you guys to trust but verify. Research this stuff. It's only going to help you grow. It's only going to make you better. And so when I use the term God, God means different things to different people. And you have different people because it's not just white people that use the word God or the concept of God or, you know, these religious ideologies as a weapon to control and beat people. You have people in the black community doing that. You have people in the Latinx communities. You have people in the Middle Eastern communities doing that. And, I mean, that even includes, you know, the Jewish community. You know, I'm not leaving them out of this particular conversation. But what I'm saying is I need you to think for yourself. I need you to question things. I need you to research. And most importantly, I need you to pay attention. Pay attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Pay attention to your actions. And, you know, and you know, I've done a lot of introspection. You know, I've retrospected over a lot of things that have happened over my life. You know, and the harm and hurt that I've caused, you know, And I've apologized in the past, and I'll apologize again right now for anyone that I may have hurt and harmed, you know, or misguided, you know, I apologize for that. You know, but there are certain instances in which I am just not sorry, period. And there are reasons for that as well. But, um, you know, it's a learning process a learning process. And so the young man that called, you know, talking about the fallacy of, you know, white supremacy. And again, you know, I I tie that into the myth of meritocracy, the myth of American exceptionalism, all of that. And you see that within all of these communities because even in the secular community, and I had started on this last week, specifically talking about David Silverman and him out here being but hurt, upset because he doesn't have access to the type of money and power that he once had access to. And, you know, the, the, the green lens that he's using to basically look at Sam Harris. And Jordan Peterson and all of those people, Joe Rogan and a number of other ones that are over there in the IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web, and making a lot of money over there. See, that is what he wants. And, you know, um, regarding the lawsuit that he has um, taking place right now against the women that he claims falsely accused him of sexual impropriety, you know, there are a number of suits like that happening in the secular community. You know, Richard um, Carrier has a lawsuit out. And, you know, there are other people that, you know, I'm just not even going to go there. But there are quite a few white males that are out here that are either suing someone or being sued, right? And, you know, I'm going to tie it all in. Last week I was talking about, you know, social justice warriors, which was a meme um, created or coined by Richard Dawkins, right? And you have intersectionality, which was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, and so you have a number of white people out here in these mainstream communities and movements, and they've done what white people do, Columbusing and shit, co-opting and hijacking these different movements. And that would include also the feminists and the reproductive justice and, you know, the resistance, all of that. So even though I didn't name them earlier, these are some of the other social movements that are happening out here in which you see this happening. And so what you have is, you know, for the most part, white men, but then also white women that are coming into these communities and and hijacking them because they believe that their message is is, – more palatable, they believe it's more powerful, but they come and they take our talking points, they take our concepts, and they bastardize it. And then they take it over and then want to point the finger at us. You know, I had this one, you know, um, Valerie Terraco. she did a series on cognitive dissonance, and that particular series helped me a lot. And, you know, I I used to have a lot of respect for her, and a lot of that has been lost because it was interesting because when I would post things about white women and white feminists, you know, she would exercise and show her white fragility Mm. and come on my wall and make these comments. And so the last time she did it, I blocked her, right? And so she was offended by, you know, some articles that I had posted about white feminists. And that white fragility just oozed all over the place. And so she was on that particular article in that thread demanding, not asking, but demanding that I post some articles by white people ridiculing Black Lives Matter, you know, activists and all of that. This is one of the reasons why a lot of black and brown folks, and red and yellow as well, they get angry because you have a number of white people. And I primarily get this from white men, you know, but there are some white women that do this as well that demand that we educate them. And so in that particular thread, she was like, well, how would you feel if we talked about black people not – being uh, um, as active as they should be in the reproductive justice movement. And when she said that, that was the main reason why I blocked her, right? Because the reproductive justice movement was started by black women, And it was hijacked and taken over. You know, that's why we put these articles up about how black suffragists were betrayed by white feminists. And so, you know, white women, especially white feminists, they get angry about these types of things. But then they don't want to talk about the history of how black women, even after, you know, the enslaved people were emancipated, it was mandated that black people work specifically. Black women work. Why? Because for some odd reason, white women couldn't do their own laundry, cook their own food, take care of their own children, and 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 take care of their homes. You know, and in some cases, satisfy their own damn husband. So they put laws in place forcing black women to work and forcing black women to be wet nurses to their children. And I'm not even talking about just the late 1800s. I'm talking about even to this day that still happens. And while, you know, you'll have some people like, oh, it's not not on the books that black women got to work and black women have to do You know, the domestic work for black people go to the south. And a lot of this is happening in the north as well. And that's one of the problems. People, you know, give a pass to the north when the north is just as culpable. You know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin is considered the Selma of the north. And this is why I talk about history a lot. And so going back to that, you know, in regards to the reproductive justice movement, it's extremely important that you all go out <laughs> and um, do some research. You know, and what's unfortunate um, is, you know, you have these white people that want to come out and demand that black people basically explain ourselves and black people follow them. Like I said, you know, you have some of these black, brown, white people out here trying to, you know, but especially the black and brown ones running under this banner of unity. And what they mean is shut up and follow the white people because they want the white people's money. They want the, you know, the, the adoration of white people. They want these white people to validate them. You know, and you know, I want you guys to go out and do some research on reproductive justice. Because you have Sister Song and, you know, there are a number of people I hear about, you know, that are out here, these organizations that, you know, are fighting for abortion rights, that are fighting for birth control. And uh, it's, you know, more than a notion, you know, that you understand what's happening and who these people are and what they're doing and not allow these white people to basically gaslight you because they will do it. And, you know, Go out. Go and find out who Glozell Green is. You know, and take a look at some of her videos. You know, and, I mean, even with, you know, Gabrielle Union, you know, I just, you know, I get tired of this. And when I say tired of this, I get tired of white people basically trying to demand that black people prove themselves and that black people educate them and subjugate ourselves to them because they feel as though they have the answer. And so it's been interesting because you have Ibram Kendi out here, and he had an anti-racist conference, and he's written a number of, you know, excellent books. We all get a chance to check him out. You know, he has a book on how to anti-racist. The other book is stamped from the beginning, you know, and you need to go and read this. You have Robin, I think it's D'Angelo or D. Delgado, I apologize, but, you know, her book is White Fragility, and it talks about why it's hard to talk to white people about racism. And then you have white people and some black people out here that basically try to sum racism and systemic, you know, racism or structural racism about personal feelings. And it's not necessarily about that. In some cases, it is. But for the most part, no, it's about laws and policies that are on the books. And I make a lot of progressive and moderate and liberal white people uncomfortable because I will not give them a pass with their quiet, tacit, civil, polite racism and the allowance of certain things to continue because it's them. As a matter of fact, I had posted something on my Facebook wall about this one particular reporter who was a lead, you know, political reporter, and they made sure they made that clear. And I believe it was in North Carolina, and they were upset because they didn't want their particular school system in their district to be desegregated because they felt like their children would be at a disadvantage. And this has always been the case. This is one of the reasons why you hear me, you know, rail at times against the media, you know. And so it's just, it's extremely important that you all educate yourself because this history and this knowledge is a weapon. And white people will come after you about this shit because they're assuming, you know, in some cases, they're assuming that you don't understand the history. Some of them are assuming that you will not go out and do the research and find out things about people like Latasha Mays, you know, and her new voices for reproductive justice, you know, and... I just need for you to go and to pay attention. You know, there are a lot of them out there. You have Billy Avery, Kiara Bridges. You know, you have someone like Willie Parker who's a devout Christian, and, and that's fine. Because I'm starting to see more black Christian women coming out as feminists and talking about. Reproductive justice. You all need to go back and you need to learn these things. If for nothing else, how to fight back. You got black women for wellness, right? And there's a difference between reproductive justice and reproductive rights. And um, it's important to understand the difference between the two. And it's important for you to understand where you stand. Because, you know, you do have some atheist, you know, people out here that are anti-abortion. And it's good to have these, you know, conversations out here. You know, go and look up Brittany Mostiller or Mostiller. You know, I will kill your damn name. But, you know, she's from Chicago, all right, South Side. Go and look up Amanda Lamb. Look them up. Crystal Pruitt. Learn who these people are, what they're doing, and how it relates to you. So anyway, um, it's just interesting how a lot of this has been set up, how a lot of these people are thinking and what they're doing. But black, brown, red, yellow people, you need to understand that Some of these white people will use their power, their money, influence, prestige to continue to oppress you if you oppose what they're saying. And you have quite a few of them with the so-called gotcha because they think you're not prepared. And then you have ones that show their particular entitlement while demanding that you educate them, while demanding that you defer to them, while demanding that you stay in your place and you be quiet and they will give you what they feel that you deserve. And you speak. The talking points they gave you, and you got a lot of these black and brown tokens out here that are willing to do that and willing to go along with that, because at the end of the day, it's about money, and like I say, the capitalism, patriarchy—you know—that's what a lot of these people have in common. And what's interesting is I've seen um, I've seen some shit. And I just sit back and I laugh. You know some of these people out here that scream social justice and you know, level playing field, you know, equality, you know, health and wealth equality. All of those are wonderful things. As long as they're able to capitalize off of that, and they can have people following them and giving to them and deifying them. It's fine if it's them doing it, but they point the finger at white people again. You have people out here that use these particular movements to capitalize off of, and you have to start paying attention And understanding what's happening. And you need to question, folks. I do. It's made me unpopular, but you know what? I am really okay with that, right? And so, yeah, I'm going to continue asking the hard questions. I'm going to continue pointing the finger But, yeah, you need to give these white people back their gods, whether, you know, it's the white gods they've created or the black and brown gods that they're trying to create to get you in line because, again, they want you to join their organizations. They need the numbers. They want your money because a lot of black, brown people, we've been trained to give. We've been trained to give our tithes and offerings. We've been trained pretty much to give our money away. And it's not necessarily something that we want to do, but when you go into many of our communities, we're not the ones who own the businesses for the most part. There are some that are there, and there are reasons for that. And so the money does not circulate in our communities. Which is one of the reasons why we have not been able to accumulate a certain amount of wealth. But there are those, some of us out here, that knows how to accumulate the wealth and knows how to, you know, start these particular businesses. And 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 we've had very productive, very wealthy communities, only for them to be taken from us. So it's like we can do it. How do we get to keep it? so go and look up what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. Look up what happened in Rosewood, um, Florida. Look up what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. And Christopher Everett, his movie was Wilmington on Fire. You know, he gets me because I'll remember his name and forget the name of the movie. And now, you know, I got it back. I have good days and bad days, y'all. But You know, and it's not just those particular people, you know, people in in particular cities. This has happened all across the United States. You know, where Central Park was built in New York, that was once a very wealthy, very productive, industrious black community. So go out do some reading, do some research, pay attention. You know, there's been a lot um, going on and a lot of talk about black reproductive justice just in this year alone. I mean, they've always covered it, but there are a number of articles that you can go out and you can look up, you know, and, you know, I'm switching a little bit and then I'm going to switch back. You know, um, you have a lot of these white people out here, especially in the particular political and social climate that we're living in in America. And I posted something, I think it was um, Brie Newsom that was talking about how she broke down the word commie and the history of it and how white people, particularly white men, but white people in general got upset because she took away their new N-word. And so I want you guys to go back, and it's, under, it's, it's important that you understand the history of black people and socialism and Marxism. And specifically what happened in the 50s and 60s when they added under God, you know, you know, in the word God, to our currency, as well as the Pledge of Allegiance. So you need to learn about the Red Scare and McCarthyism and understand why now you're hearing 45 and McConnell and people of that ilk talking about communism and socialism and and the so-called evils of it. Now a lot of the Marxes, you know, Karl Marx was not perfect. You know, neither was Lenin, and a number of the other, you know, um, examples that are out there. But I do want you all to go out and do some reading on Black Marxism, Cedric Robinson wrote an excellent book. You know, I think he passed away a few years ago. But, um, yeah, look up Cedric Robinson and, you know, his take on it. You may want to look up the Black Panthers and their take on socialism in the Black community. And there are a number of examples out there. You know, and I've talked about this before. I've taught some of this. And so, you know, I'm going to make concerted effort to um, get some guests on the show. There are a number of things that I actually want to talk about, but one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, you know, I put this out there, and then you'll have, you know, some people run out with what I'm talking about and then try to do it ahead of me to make it seem as though it was their idea, stealing talking points and all of that, and that's fine. You know, because I don't own any of this shit. And I don't necessarily want or need the credit. But I guess one of the things that, you know, kind of angers me a little bit is that some of these are the same people that are pointing fingers at me and and, and making, you know, some of them are making shit up. You know, some people out there putting half-truths out there. There's some people that are straight up just lying. And that's fine. And for those that believe it, I'm fine with that too. But when you see me and you meet me, stop asking me what happened and then get angry when I won't answer your question. And then get even angrier when I say you made a choice, you believe A, B, and C, and I want you to stick with that. I'm fine with that. And what's interesting is some of those people are the same ones that 10 minutes later, well, Kim, I'm having this issue. Can you help me? And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with and trying to reconcile within myself because right now I'm somewhat of the mindset that I, you know, I'm not going to stick my neck out too much more for people. You know, some of the things I used to do, some of the things I used to give, not so much, although once I get my things out of storage, I am going to give, I'm going to wash and dry clean a lot of my old clothes and give them away, you know, take them to some black domestic violence shelters um, in Chicago. You know, so I'm going to end up driving up there with a car full of stuff. But um may even be two trips, you know, because after my mom passed away, I actually thought about moving back to Chicago. But, nah, I just come up there once or twice a month, usually for doctor's appointments and to get my locks retwisted. And even right now, I'm thinking about shaving these things off because I'm just through with a whole bunch of stuff, right? But that's that. It is what it is, you know. Um, So that's enough about that. I think I've put enough out there. I think I've piqued enough of your interest to encourage you to go out and do some research. And I gave you some words, um, keywords to look up on Google. Google. And I do things like that because I do want you to go down the rabbit hole because you're not only going to see what I want you to read, you're going to find out a number of other things. And that's what happens to me because back in the day, people would be like, you're posting your ass off, blah, 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 blah. That's because I'm reading. And, you know, I put it out there. But now, you know, and I used to post them on different forums. I mean, you know, I had these different tools and it was just, You know, other people were capitalizing and benefiting from that. So now I just put it on my own shit, right? You want to see it, go over there. You can subscribe to our Reddit page, um, Black Freethinkers, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S over on Reddit. And so now I want to talk about Kanye because, like I said, we're Black Freethinkers, but not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. Now, what I need for you all to understand, particularly about Candace Owens, is that um, she's capitalizing and trying to seize the moment. And you saw what happened to that Denard guy, Paris, Parrish Denard. And it's interesting because... You know there are a lot of the white people that didn't necessarily come to their defense, and what's interesting about Kanye and what just happened <laughs> is he shook his tambourine, gospelized in the Leah song, you know praised his Jesus money and white supremacy and capitalism and debuted his music with a white capitalist crowd. I need you guys to really start paying attention to that. And even with some of these people that you view as leaders, and, you know, in some cases, again, you're deifying some of these black and brown people. Look at who their base audience and who their base supporters are. They don't look like you or me. They have some of us out there. But for the most part, not so much. And so over the, you know, last several years, I talked about Kanye and all this pride that he's buying in the communes. Pay attention. That's not going to end well. You know, and so it's really interesting because, you know, there was a conversation that I had with some of the wonderful women that I met in Brazil. And, you know, we were talking and they were like, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it. So we started looking up purchasing cities. You know, and there are places in the United States as well as in other places because we actually looked in some places in France as well. And, you know, of course, Raina and I, you know, hit that ball back and forth because I need for you all to understand, um, even with the people of color beyond faith, that was a concept that Raina and I came up with. And we worked the concept. And I did 85% of the work, and I invested a lot of my own personal resources, finances, all of that into people of color beyond faith. Which is why I wouldn't let it go. And which is why I'm not going to let it go. And so, you know, Raina and I, going over our ideas. And, you know, there are some other friends that I've talked about that I'm not going to name, um, but you know who you are. That, you know, kind of wanted to have some property, and buy some property of our own, and, and kind of do our own thing. And so I've really been thinking about it. You know, I always used to say if I ever had to go off the grid, that I was going to run on over there to the Quakers, except I need indoor plumbing, heat, lights, and the Internet. So that's probably not going to end too well. I'll have to live on the outskirts. But, you know, um, it's something that I'm actually really truly entertaining. But, you know, purchasing some land, you know, or go out and buy one of these cities, and, again, you know, in order for us to sustain and be self-sustaining, you know, unfortunately, you know, we will have to utilize some capitalism in those particular, you know, communities or in my community. And I understand that. And so until we find a better way, and it's going to take money, period. And so I get that. But, Yeah you know, thinking about making a purchase like that and making it for an actual very specific group of people because it would be black queer women. And when I say that, you know, I'm including femmes and I'm including, you know, black femmes and I'm including black trans women. So all encompassing. But, you know, a, you know, black queer women specifically. So we can get some damn peace and quiet and live our own lives and do what we have to do and not have to deal with some of the bullshit that we're relegated to on a daily basis. So, anyway, it's an idea. And we've been kind of kicking it around. It was interesting. One of the places that we found in France was they were asking about 180 euros. I mean, 180,000 euros. My apologies. So about 180,000 euros, which is not a lot of money. You know, I was even um, looking up some stuff afterwards, you know, over in uh, Brazil, in the United States as well. So it's an idea that I'm kind of kicking around. And, you know, on the outskirts, you know, we probably will build some property and, you know, let other people live there. Because especially, you know, we're looking at the situation that, you know, some of the same black queer women will have some. And they're going to need a place. And we're looking at, you know, there are going to be people with special needs or children with special needs. And so, you know, just kind of kicking it around, playing with the idea, you know, because I do think we need a place of our own. And so, you know, when you put something together like that, you know, you have to be very careful. And that's why you know I would do things like have weapons training self defense you know um I was studying for my black belt and crawl my guy. I started it last year, and I had to stop because my neuropathy was acting up, and I've been thinking about going back, but um, like I said, this lupus flare, the one that I'm having now is's it's been horrible. And, you know, in the past really two, three weeks, I've been to the doctor five times, would have been six, but I just didn't feel like driving up to Chicago. But, you know, I kind of have it under control or control enough now. But, um, you know, things like that. So, ah, let me know what you think. You know, now for that, that is something that I definitely would take Um, donations for, but not until we kind of nail it down, figure out what we want to do. The original seed money for a lot of the stuff will come from a select few people. And then other um, finances and resources, you know, we'll put it out there and see what happens. So I don't know. You know, I'm still contemplating because that is a really, really big project that has its own set of headaches that come with it, and it boils down to the fact of: Do I really want to do this? Can I handle it? You know, because it's so funny. Because Raina and I, we were laughing, and she was, you know, <laughs> Raina talks about me. It's so funny, but um, just yeah, kind of kicking around. The idea. Because the money is there. The original seed money. But you know you need money to fix up these communities. Again, establish some security. You know, because, yeah. You know, we have to be able to protect ourselves. So anyway, let me stop rambling about that because these are just things that I'm talking about. But... You know, switching back to the subject, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of growing. And, you know, I talked about, you know, the white women and that one particular, you know, white woman that, you know, that's not how you get me to want to cooperate and work with you. That's not how that works. And so I think I told you a long time ago, not a long, 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 long time ago, but um, last year sometime, about this one humanist group that um, I had visited with a couple of times. And it was all white. It was mainly older folks, but white. And um, how I had to have a coffee with the white woman that you know, led the group, and basically it all boils down to, it boiled down to the fact that I made a lot of the white people in the group uncomfortable, but yet they call themselves focusing on being anti-racist, well, that's not even what they said, you know, they, they want to combat racism. And and so that's an assumption on my end that they that they want to be anti-racist, but yet they personalize a lot of the comments I made in regards to white people, you know, because I would just contradict what they would say, and not necessarily. It's it's just interesting because one particular white woman was saying, "Well, lynching has gotten better. They don't quite do it as much. It's not like it used to be." And, you know, and, of course, there were some of the other ones that agreed with her, and, of course, I had to disagree. And I said, they're still happening, but instead of showing up with a picnic basket and your children and turning it into a family affair, it's now being videotaped on cell phones and put on YouTube. And I'm like, they're nothing but electronic lynchings. That is what's happening. And she had to concede that point. But I could tell she was uncomfortable and unhappy and many others in the group. But there was this one white guy, you know, looked like a lumberjack, Johnny Appleseed going on over there. Nice guy. And he was laughing his ass off. And after both of the meetings I attended, he was like, I am so glad that you're here. You're a breath of fresh air. Because he knew I was making those people uncomfortable. So anyway, going back to the coffee date, right, so she brought, you know, in the email, she's like, oh, I'm inviting this white guy. And I'm like, hmm, so I invited a black woman. And I was like, I need you to witness this shit, right, because I already knew what time it was. And so what was interesting is, and I know I'm telling, retelling this story, but it's just funny to me, right? And so she was talking about, you know, she asked me, the very first question was, what was the first thing you noticed about our group? And so in my mind, I'm like, trick question, Kim, this is a trick. And I said, the first thing I noticed is that the group was rather homogenous. You know, I'm trying to play it off because, you know, white people like nuance. And I'm tired of nuance. Nuance hasn't gotten us anywhere, right? And she was like, "Homogeneous. what do you mean by that? And we all know I give no fucks, really, right? And I'm like white. And so she was taken aback, right? Which I thought was funny, And so I'm going to fast forward this a little bit. But she started talking about how within that particular group, how they have a so-called covenant. And the manner in which she tried to explain it, um, it was basically predicated on the definition of a covenant, of a general covenant, that found in Judaism, right? And she couldn't even explain it right, and I could see her struggling, you know, and it's interesting because she said, we used to have, you know, some Jewish people that would come out to the meetings, and they haven't been there in a while, and we don't understand why. And I'm like, I can tell you why. And so, as she went on to explain this covenant, I'm laughing in the back of my head because, you know, she's sitting here and she's explaining it as a so-called covenant because she couldn't quite bring herself to say that it was a whiteness oath. And so that's that's a new category I want you guys to go and look up, whiteness oath, right? And so to kind of give you a general explanation of what that is, and how that works. There used to be certain communities where black and brown people could not buy the property because it was either written, you know, within their contracts or associations or what have you, that the property would not ever be sold to black or brown people. And some of that still exists to this day do some research about that. So she couldn't and didn't want to say that they've taken an oath amongst themselves to protect each other and to protect one another against, you know, uh, what they considered as threats. And so it's interesting because I will tell you, and I've said this a number of times, I am not your kind of Negro, white people. I'm not that Negro, that you can say is your friend. I'm not that black friend. Never have been, never will be. Because I'm not going to allow you to use me as a cudgel against other black or other white people when you say and do some stupid, ignorant shit And then when I check you on it, your feelings are hurt. And what you've become accustomed to is at that point that that person of color, that black person, that brown person, at that point you expect them to shrink up and go silent and or apologize. For making you feel bad. I'm not that kind of Negro. And I'm not going to allow you to try to use me or utilize me in that fashion. That's what you get those other tokens for. They'll fight for you. They'll cake for you. They'll, They'll white knight for you. And in turn, you give them a scrap of meat while they battle to get a so-called seat at the table. And so that's one of the reasons why you hear me talking about the labels of diversity and inclusion and intersectionality and how you all have taken those words And try to turn them into an action, into a verb. And utilize those words as a way of telling people that this is what we have. And you turn that word into the action because you yourself do not want to do the work. Or you may want to do some, but not all of it because it's hard work. Or you can't be bothered to really get to know and understand what's happening with these marginalized groups. And with the other groups that I was talking about early, I, would, I want to make sure that I include disability community as well, that particular movement, which is ultra-white, right? And you want to take these black and brown tokens and use them as a shield. And some of them allow you. Some are unwitting. But quite a few of them know exactly what they're doing because they want and they need your money to fund their pet projects or to fund them and their desperation to get out of certain situations. Now, you know, I... I, There are some things I understand. I don't necessarily agree, but I understand. In regards to, you know, black and brown people wanting to come out or be liberated from the situations in which we've been, in most cases, trapped in the positions and roles we've been relegated to play. And that's one of the things that fuels some of these communities, especially when it comes to religion and politics and now I'll say even, you know, non-religion, secularism, and humanism. So <laughs> um, there are going to be some unhappy people with what I have to say today. Good. And yes, I am talking about you. So, folks, I just need for you to all to understand how you're being used and utilized, and, you know, you have other black people out here that use black and brown people to, to further what they're trying to capitalize on, and it's easy to get sucked into it. And when you're caught and you're in the eye of the hurricane, It seems calm, and everything around you is caught up in a whirlwind, out of control. It's just a matter of time before you yourself are also caught up in the whirlwind. And one of the issues that we have to deal with, and I'm talking, you know, about black and brown, red, yellow people that are in the throes. Of this racism and the hostility and the white supremacy, and and, you know, and, and being victims of this white pathology, is they have gotten us so accustomed to chaos and havoc that when we find some peace some quiet, some silence, some freedom. Some of us don't know what to do with it. And because we're so accustomed to that, you go and step back into the fight. And there are always going to have to be people out here fighting. There are going to be some times when you have to rest. And, you know, And there's, there are some cases in which I do believe in individualism, But I also appreciate and understand collectivism. And we are at a point where I just think we're in trouble. And I think we've been backed into a corner. And we have to do some things differently. And so you have people out here saying this is not your mom or grandma's civil rights movement. It's different. There's some truth to that, and then there's, you know, some fallacy to that as well, because I know that my mom and my aunts and uncles and their friends and other people that were out here fighting and protesting and marching during the civil rights movement, they did it so that we would have a better life. They're tired. And things and times have changed, right? You know, I'm glad that I was able to spend that last year with my mom. And like I said, she was able to impart a lot into me and and share with me um, some of what she dealt with. You know, when, you know, she was born and raised until a certain age in Mississippi, And, you know, that's why her and one of my aunts had really bad dental issues because they didn't have any black dentists, and they weren't allowed to go to the white dentist. And so basically, you know, that was something that my mom had battled with her entire life. And she would tell me about how, you know, how my grandfather was almost lynched and how they had to come back with three, four cars in the middle of the night to get her and her siblings and other relatives. And they escaped from Mississippi and went to Chicago. And that's how we ended up there. And, you know, um, they went through a lot. Some of them were born during the Depression, many of them afterwards, but they suffered. And, you know, my mom made it through all of that. You know, my mom was able to etch out, you know, a a relatively good upbringing of me and my siblings and, and some other relatives because... My mom was open-hearted. She loved everyone and would do what she could. And so, you know, losing her, that, that really hurt because there was a point in time in which I had to walk away from everything. But it kind of brought it back together. You know, the last two years of her life were very difficult. But that last year, there was more one-on-one. I would sit there with her, watch her sleep, talk to her. Whatever she wanted, I made it happen. And, you know, she, she would share more of the history of things. She told me some truths about some things that, you know, she hadn't shared with me, you know, there were some things that, you know, she was not truthful about, but she didn't want to pass away without telling me the truth, and, you know, as I stated before, my mom held on to her faith until her very last breath, and, She protected us to the very end. She didn't want us to see her on those machines. She did not want to pass away in any of our homes. You know, she did things her way. And while I'm still grieving and that will never go away, I understand. And I guess one of the things that brings me some solace and some peace to the situation, you know, is that, you know, my very last conversation with her was extremely enlightening. And it was very positive, very loving. And, you know, I can't, you know, really find the words to describe it, but it was kind of pure. It was loving. It was enveloping, all encompassing. You know, my mom wanted me to remember the good times, and I really believe that she was thinking about good times and thinking about our childhood, and 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 you know, just different beautiful, warm memories that she had. And it was conveyed not through words, but through words. I don't know how to describe that. But I was uplifted, And she was telling me that she wanted me to continue to live and move on, and that she will always be here in my heart when I look in the mirror, when I see my nieces and nephews. We all have a part of her. And so one of the last conversations before that final conversation, you know, my mom had been prepping me, you know, with these final arrangements. And, you know, the very last conversation we had about, you know, the funeral arrangements, she said, Kim, I'm trusting you to do the right thing. And, knowing that my mom passed away trusting me and knowing that I would do exactly what she wanted me to do and so That brings me some peace. And so, again, you know, I thank the people out there that over the years that have said, you know, cherish your family. You know, let them know that you love them, you know, especially your parents. You know, my dad died many, many years ago. But um, I took that to heart. And I did just that. And so I was able to give her, you know, a sense of peace and security and stability and you know, unconditional love. So, you know, for those last couple of years, but especially that last year, I was able to give her that love and attention and dedication that she gave me and my siblings when she brought us into the, the world. So I made sure as we prepared to let her go, I made sure that she got that same love and dedication and compassion and understanding. So that's that. Oh, again this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself use those analytical critical skills thinking skills for every aspect of your life love and cherish the people that are around you. I had to go back and redo some things and change some things. And while some of the lessons that I've learned over really the last 10 years, some of them have been quite painful. But, you know, now I'm kind of grateful for it. Because it freed up a lot of my time, it freed me up to be able to go back home and go and be with my mom when she needed me the most. And so, you know, doing this show is very therapeutic and cathartic. And so I thank you guys, you know, for allowing me to be a part of your life. And for, you know, listening and encouraging me, you know, when I look at my numbers, the numbers to this show have grown exponentially. So I thank you to the people, the loyal, faithful listeners, and I thank the new people for sharing your time and your life with me. And feel free to contact me. I'm there. I'm out here. I'm available. And, um, you know, thank you for being patient with me. And so this is Kim, Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think a little for yourself, you guys. I did a late show. Like I said, I haven't been sleeping well. So when I go to sleep 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, I end up sleeping to 1, 2 o'clock, 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So please bear with me as we try to get these health issues is under control. So I love you. I missed you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Bye-bye.